Human condition will believe an insult from a stranger and take it in more so than a statement of affection or a compliment from a friend. Some great fucking jokes at this person's expense and then also at mine for my own vulnerability in that situation, but comedy is a really abusive ex. gentlemen thank you so much for tuning in today to comedians exposed today's guest began his comedy career out west and then he moved east and now he's just well known coast to coast his comedy is vivid hilarious stories that are beautifully crafted together he has this uncanny ability to transport you to wherever the story is being told You've definitely heard him on the Wrist podcast, which is a wonderful um, podcast if you haven't already checked that out. He is an amazing photographer, which is offering another lens into who this person is. This past summer, he released his comedy album titled A Lot, which is available on Spotify, and it is hilarious. And he's co-producer of the Take a Compliment show. So we are so excited today to be able to welcome today's guest to Comedians Exposed, Ian Steffe. Welcome, oh. Ian. That is such a warm, that was so nice. That was, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, Hi. Here. <laughs> <laughs> how are you? So how has 2020 been treating you, my friend? It's a Cleveland steamer. It took a shit on my chest and it thought I enjoyed it. <laughs> you're not enjoying it then? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> no, I mean, didn't we all have, like, I mean, this is it the comfort is that we all know that everybody's having the same worst year of their lives at the same time? Yeah. And I don't know if, did you get this feeling where it was like you felt like you were getting your momentum, you were getting your, your stride, and then all of a sudden everything shut down? So it was the shutdowns. Um, I had like the worst run going from like February onward because it was like, I lost my job February 19th. A week later, I'd, um, I'd lost my father a week after that. Actually during that week I had to plan his funeral because my parents are super organized. And then I had to come back into Jersey and to do this album that I've been talking about doing for like years and never got around to it. Um, and then, yeah, we've all been inside ever since trying to catch up on Netflix. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Let's actually dive right in. Um, I wanted to talk okay. about, because your father did pass away this year, and I'm sorry about that. Um, I know Thank you. how hard it is to lose people we love. And I found it, um, I wanted to talk to you about losing your father and then deciding that you were going to um, go through with you know, performing your um, special. So I wanted to ask, like, was that a struggle for you? Did you struggle with that decision? Um, when it happened, so the original thought about it, I think it was January 
January 1st. Yeah, it was New Year's Eve. I was with Diana, my co-host, to take a compliment. We were at a, um, it was like a Led Zeppelin tribute band over at Porta. And I was drunk and swaying and I was like, I want to do an album. And she's like, okay. Because she's, she's one of those people that inexplicably isn't annoying when she's read The Secret, but she definitely believes in The Secret. And she wanted to manifest it as quickly as possible. So we had organized this as well as we could. But um, my when, when it happened, um, I didn't want to do it. And this was an argument that took place in the funeral director's office. Like the woman had been giving us figures and prices about what we're going to do. And she left and my mom and I are alone in the room. And I was like, I think I'm just going to stick around and we're just going to call this off. Cause like, I don't know if I have the mental ability to do this. And she got really mad. Um, the one thing that I have to say is that like my mom has always been a huge advocate for me to try to do this. And she's like, if you don't do this, you're not going to do it ever. So you have to do it. So she was really insistent about me coming back and doing it. But, you know, I had all these plans about doing like the greatest hits, all the things that I had been working on over the last year. And then when I showed up to do the show, it felt really hard. Like the whole week I couldn't really think. And it was, it was hard. Um, and I also felt oddly like this is, this is kind of, I felt really self-conscious about continuing through with it because I didn't want to use my father's death. Does that make any sense? Like I had, I had that tagged on, on the advertisements like Ian lost his father and you know, and I, I didn't want to use him necessarily. It was, it felt icky in some weird way, but like, again, it was, you know, I've been doing comedy since, can you, Hey, I think you broke up. that dog? Oh, no, okay. All right, good. You were saying... Okay, good. Okay, so um, I've been doing comedy for 15 years off and on, and it was something that I needed to do. It just, it needed to happen or like, whether or not it was bad or good, if it was bad, I could just make another one to learn from it. Did you feel vulnerable uh, talking about your dad's passing? Um... That's when I showed up to do the show, I got drunk pretty fast. It was not something that I'm necessarily proud of. Um, I was really nervous. Um, and because I, I was so stuck on the fact that I didn't really know what I was going to say, honestly, it, it so. Yeah, it was it was definitely hard, um, but it felt like it's like when you have people showing up for you, when you have uh, that level of support, which was really heartening. There was a lot of people that showed up for that show to, to make it happen, and it it felt like the audience was carrying me through the process of it. So I just was like, I'm just gonna throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what happens, and it came out okay. Were you happy with how it? Uh, Did I answer overall? that okay? Hi. Yeah. Uh, if you, you if you want the honest truth, I still haven't fully listened to it. What? No. Nope. How come? I've listened. I. That's the worst part because that's that's the thing that I think is the hardest part is like I don't. I listened to about half of it and then I just stopped because there's a finality to making an album and you're stuck with it and you can't fix a goddamn thing about it. So I. 
I didn't want to be uncomfortable with it. I didn't want the feeling that I had felt on stage to be ruined. In some ways you do a recording, even just doing like a regular open mic set and it, it's not what you pictured it to be. And so I, I just, I leave it, I leave it unto itself. Um, I know like I, I felt really good when I was doing it, but no, I, I can't do it. I can't. It's too scary. <laughs> scary. Why is it so scary? Don't you, I mean, I think it's just because there's a finality to it. And because any misstep, anything that you say wrong could possibly, I don't know. It, it's the finality of it. It's the fact that I can't go back and fix it. It's just getting mad. So I'll, I'll let other people enjoy it, but like it scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Makes you uncomfortable. Boy, howdy. <laughs> right because that's what we want to talk about we want to talk about all the uncomfortable bits of life and comedy and all that ins and outs um mm-hmm. you talk about your dad a lot you know in your comedy like i love the story about you know what what happened with you and the the working well not a working gal she wasn't a working gal she was a uh, a dancer of sorts yeah uh, yeah. yeah and you know, how much of yourself is you on stage? You know, because again, you telling that story, I picture every single thing that happens. So how much is... How much you? of it is... What do you mean? Like, like what, how much is me? Like On stage, you telling that story. Is that story your life? Is that story exaggerated? Is that story completely fabricated? You know what? Um... It's it's all true. The problem is is that the reason why I switched to storytelling as a structure versus doing like punchlines was because I'd write something and then like a few months later it would come out of somebody else's mouth. And you know, like we, we listen to comedy as much as we do when we're also performing. And sometimes you'll accidentally plagiarize or you'll write something really good and then just through the through lines of people constantly thinking of bits. Like there's a bit that I had to ditch that was there's a line, it was, um, I had said like, for a different bit, where it was like a woman came out of a bathroom and she was wearing a t-shirt and nothing else, which is more naked than naked. And like a few months later, I was listening to Dylan Moran and he had said the same goddamn fucking line. And I was like, I don't, it's so weird, but it was exactly right. So I started switching to storytelling because it was my experience and therefore couldn't be plagiarized and I could approach it as honestly as I could. So do you want to be like... um do you feel like you're being like really just like, hey, this is me and this is the stuff that I've gone through? Yeah. I mean, what do you, like, I'll turn the question back to you. Okay. Um, are you are you trying to – like what's the, what's the end game? Are you a, a writer for a television show? Are you famous? Are you a, 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 a comedy leviathan or is this a byproduct of something that you can't help? Are you trying to write basically the material that you like or are you trying to write a material that the audience likes? I want to write stuff I like. So, and you don't, do you care about the fame machine? Oh no, that would be horrible. I am an introvert. I, that sounds like the worst experience of how to go through this existence. So, so like I look at comedy as like it's my time it's mine I I sat there for the mic or I sat there for the showcase and yeah 
I have 10 minutes that we've agreed upon and I'm going to do that. And it's mine. Um, I think it's really important to not treat this like work. I think it needs to be, it took me a really long time to stop caring as hard about what the audience was going to think. I obviously want the material to be good. It's not like I'm just like out there thinking I'm cool, but like, I want to, I want to do this in the way where like, I think my draw to it has always been like, I want to make something that someone will feel is like very specific to themselves, but it doesn't necessarily have to go to thousands or millions of people. It can be to a few hundred and that's fine by me. Yeah. Yeah. You think though, like, um, cause like, again, like you're like, again, showing yourself, was that hard to make that transition from being like a more traditional joke writer in the sense of like having punchlines in the way that you were talking about? in terms of now doing storytelling where you're talking specifically about your authentic experiences. Was that hard to shift over to that? I think I was already doing that for like, well, when I started to like actually really focus on that particular type of comedy was like maybe three or four years ago. I just moved to Philly and I started doing that. And the transition wasn't, it was actually oddly enough was risk because I had sent a story of something crazy that had happened. And I realized I had somewhat of an advantage because I, I just had like a bunch of really crazy stories and it was, it was a lot easier to just vomit that out. And this is the best part about storytelling versus doing like joke jokes is that oftentimes when you're writing, or this is personal experience, when you're trying to write a set, when you're trying to write a chunk about a certain topic, is that maybe a couple of lines will fritter out while you're exhaling some indica smoke, right? Like you're just with your friends and you say something and it's perfect and you're like, I gotta write this shit down. And you do. And then you start to write a sort of a persuasive essay, if you think about it, about what the point you're trying to make is. With storytelling, which is really cool, is that you have the structure. You have something that you know, like beginning, this is who I used to be, this is the middle and all the action is happening and this is the end is what I learned from it. And by having that structure for you, then you can take lines and jokes and do it the other way around. So instead, you have the structure to work with. And the best part about storytelling, too, or to put it in a storytelling format, is that even if you don't have the best lines in the world, if it's crazy enough, the marrow of it is enough. Does that make sense? No, because, I mean, like, it's interesting. Like, you know, because, like, storytelling itself is, like, its own unique art. Uh, yeah. because of the, the depth of emotion that you're being exposed to. So, and I feel like comedy can definitely be that too. Like comedy doesn't have to just be funny, light yucks. Comedy can yeah. be like introducing these things that are, you know, the range of the human experience. Right. And I like how storytelling really kind of like dives into that in a much meatier way. Like you could really just focus on one emotion the whole time if you want to. Like it's it's interesting. I I really um, love storytelling. Like I said, I love your style of comedy of how you do that. You know, because again, it's just the words that you choose. It's very descriptive. You know, and you can just picture these people in your head. You're like, oh my god, <gasps> like no, somebody help you, just help him it's now. Awesome. No, but what's also cool too is that you can actually play with a little, a few more emotions while you're up there when you're doing a story too. Is that you can go, like none of us function this way. None of us is the funniest person. Like you think about, like you'll you'll look at 
like comedy advice and they'll talk about laughs per minute and break it into some weird 538.com kind of statistical analysis. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't have to do that. Like sometimes you can rest into something for two and a half minutes and there are no jokes, but it's a build. And so like, it's cool to foment something to the point where you reach a breaking point and all that tension and everything leads to this huge punch rather than doing a bunch of little ones. You know, I wanted to talk to you then about the tension, that buildup, because mm-hmm. like, just for, you know, like that to me is something that you got to have really good, like, uh, confidence to stand up there and build that tension, you know, because I feel like, you know, especially too, like when you're up there, it sometimes, yeah, becomes like some sort of mad dash for laughter because you're just uncomfortable in the silence. But then yes. sitting in that silence and allowing that silence to build is a very powerful move. How, because um, to me, like whenever I try it, I mean, maybe I get real anxious and I'm like, oh my God, this is uncomfortable. But for you, it doesn't seem like that. Was it ever uncomfortable for you to sit in that silence? I could never do, there's a couple of comics that I've seen do this where they can, there's a, there's a comic like, for instance, in Massachusetts named Nathan Burke who could do silence really well and who just slowly draw out the jokes that he's doing. Another one that does that really well is Brian St. John. Like where, I don't know if you, like, like Brian, Brian has this ability to get into it and make people uncomfortable and he's got this sort of Bible salesman smile on his face as he's <laughs> doing it. Yes. And I, I, I adore that. As far as like, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that time is really essential like that sort of malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours experience um helps was there ever a time where it was like scary i guess in the beginning like when i was like 19 or 20 i thought i was david cross and i did a bunch of like edge lords like what's the right word incel kind of humor i feel like there's a chapter that almost every cis white dude goes through where they have to be doug stanhope or bill hicks or they never get um, it you mean it's it's just like the like the tendency to use shock as opposed to nuance um i think there's been a lot of man hours with um like i used to do tour guiding and i'd have to talk to people for like an hour an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and so after a while you start to go well that's gonna suck i mean the only anticipate like sorry the only anxiety i ever get is anticipation before i'm about to go on stage yeah but once I'm in it, I'm fine. Because I because of the worst case scenario is you fucking bomb and then you do it again the next day. It's yeah. It's not like the, it's not like the thing that we like that we're dealing with with stage fright. Have you ever had anybody like throw something at you? Have you ever had a bunch of hecklers? I mean, there's a big difference between getting something thrown at you versus a heckler, right? Well, I, mean, I had I that. Yeah, like yeah. I, so I mean, no, you go first. The worst thing that's gonna happen is someone's gonna throw something at us. The worst thing that's going to happen is, okay, so what's his the name? The worst thing Steve that can happen is their jokes hit harder than your jokes. That's pretty terrible. That never happens. First of all, that's <laughs> never happened. In the history of, of hecklers, I think I've never heard of a heckler doing a no. good job. Like, oh, yeah. the, so, I mean, I have a friend right now who's kind of pissed off at, like, if you, you know Steve Hopstetter? No. So Steve Hofstetter does like YouTube videos of him doing epic, quote unquote, epic heckler takedowns. And he makes it seem like you're going to get a heckler every fucking week. And you don't. 
you don't. You see it maybe once every six months. Nine times out of ten in that situation, the person realizes that they have a profound indoor voice. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And then you have that rare person. I mean, I used to get mad confrontational with what I perceived to be hecklers. And it's, it's just not as common as people think it is. No. It's just usually a drunk person that doesn't realize that you're being rhetorical. I, I don't find either. I feel like, because I personally enjoy hecklers. Like, I, I don't know why I find them to be such interesting people. I love the engagement in the middle of my set. Like, okay, this is so fun. Um, but it's like, you don't see a lot of people, like audiences wanting to interact with the comedians. You know, I find like, like you said, like hecklers are few and far between and it's far more common to be like performing and have the audience not want to engage with you at all. But again, like sometimes it's not even your fault. I mean, I've done so many nightmare gigs where I had to do, I went to one, it was in Ungunquit, Maine, and there was, I was booked for the show. This is like six or seven years ago. And I was really excited. And we get there and it's at this restaurant. And this is the nightmare. What happens is, is that um, we get there and there's nobody there. There's only a four top of old people eating food and their backs are to the stage. So the comics that went up talked to them and that was it. The worst was I ended up getting, um, when I got on the list, the check got dropped. So when I was about to get on stage, the check was dropped and they're paying and they start to leave. And I started to beg, just please don't go. And the booker that was doing this said, listen, because I was getting paid 50 bucks for this. Mm-hmm. He said, just go up on stage and do your material. And if anybody comes in, they'll just sit down and watch. And so I did stand up for no one. Zero <laughs> people. All the comics had gone outside to smoke cigarettes. I was in a room. This is like, for the, what's happened with, with the pandemic and doing Zoom shows, this was worse. That feeling of being in sort of like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and no <laughs> one cares. All the sponsors don't give a shit about your problems. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Ugh. That's exactly yeah, what like Zoom shows are like right now. Yeah, it's kind of just like, all right, I'm in my house, talking in my I can't do it. Oh, you can't? It's I kind absolutely- of interesting. Like, like, again, it's just kind of like, you're talking to yourself, but I yeah. feel like there's still an element for me at least, because I think that there's someone watching me. So at least that idea of, okay, someone's looking at me. So I've got a little more anxiety. So, you know, but the thing is, I'm surprised that you have at least this admission of anxiety, because I feel like when you get on stage, maybe it's a byproduct of the anxiety, but you have this like, you feel like, I don't know if I'm saying this wrong or not, but you try to seize control within second five, like five seconds in you're in. And so like that joke about like, you just like, show me your teeth. Like you're trying to engage. Like, I don't know if that's something that you've gotten from teaching in the past or not, because like, you know, ultimately you are dealing with children. It's not any different. If you're just dealing with drunks, it's the same thing. There's There's just nothing to be afraid of. Nobody wants to go up there. I, I wish, like, again, I wish I wasn't nervous um, 
I hate going up. I hate doing it so much, yet I keep doing it. And I don't know why. <laughs> Comedy is a really abusive ex. <laughs> so, yes, it, it, something is literally like I am fully convinced, I am fully embraced that I have some sort of neurotic tendencies and doing comedy, like, again, like I said, I'm like, I don't, people make me uncomfortable and, you know, I don't like public speaking, all of these things, yet I keep doing it because I feel like there's something that I'm getting from it. And I know there is, you know, like personally, like it's really awesome to be in my life to be able to kind of be like, all right, I'm going to say what I need to say. So what about for you? Has comedy benefited your life personally? The only thing I've ever stuck with, it's like, I mean, there's a common joke about people with ADD is that they'll come up with a great idea and like 99% of the time they don't follow through with it. Mm-hmm. But comedy was always a, such a weird positive and negative reinforcement at the same time. Um, can you repeat the question one more time? <laughs> I just wanted to know, like, because um, I feel like comedy is can be so many things, you know? Like, we were talking about, like, yeah. how you know, the end game shouldn't always just matter. The experience is equally important of doing comedy and having this journey. And I want to know how is doing the journey benefited your life personally? It's not conventional. I never wanted to be in an office. I mean, like that's always been my entire resume has been about I never really gave a shit about where I was going to go. Like I know I, I was told a lot about my potential or whatever the hell that's supposed to be. Again, to borrow a line from Dylan Moore, and like your potential is something that's like a lot like your bank balance is far less there than you think. So don't fuck with your potential. And I, what I've found personally rewarding for it is again the stories. It's the stupid fucking lifestyle. It's everybody that we meet doing this has an incredible story behind it. I think also it's it's fun to figure out the like mastering difficult situations. I don't know. I I mean like when I was 16, I was I was a fairly nerdy chubby kid and um I read a lot and I was really kind of socially stunted because I had been in like private catholic school and it, it, I wasn't, I wasn't good at people. <laughs> and I remember in high school, um, my friend Mark, um, I had this really good friend in high school that just seemed incredibly, what's the right word? Um, impervious. He was impervious to bullying. Yeah. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I think that that was sort of what attracted me to comedy was that this kid was always finding a joke. Um, Here's here's a here's an example of 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 my friend. So, at the time we were eating in this cafeteria in high school, and like this this like older like senior knocked over something onto Mark, and Mark got up from the table and got an inch from the kid's face, and the kid was like, "What are you gonna do about it?" And Mark picked up this water bottle off the table and unscrewed the cap just the way the kid had just dumped a bunch of shit on him. And then he poured the bottle of water onto his own head and stared down the kid while he was doing it. 
And then the kid just looked confused and walked away. And I was like, there's a power to that. Like somebody could kick your ass, but at least you're still winning because you're, you're impervious to their bullshit. I mean, I, I, I guess that was what I tr- got attracted to it, but like... It's like that Gandhi it, quote, right? You can't feel inferior without my consent. Right, right. And I think that there's a lot of fun about... Or it, it's it's definitely interesting to like have something get born out of, again, your high as fuck, your cool last line comes out of your mouth and you're like, how did I come up with that? Mm-hmm. And to use it on other people and, and for it to work. I don't know. I just, I just, I can't help it. I think that's the only thing I can say is I can't help it. I got attracted to it early and I'm probably never going to stop. I've always been saying that this is going to end up killing me at some point. (laughs) So um, in comedy then, like, because it is a really powerful tool, I feel, you know, it has a lot of potential. It has potential to connect people. It has potential to reclaim your power. Um, you know, but it's also then it's something that we have to be really careful with, particularly because you're trying to craft jokes sometimes about things that are like, you know, really sensitive. So I wanted to know about, yeah. you know, is there jokes that you do that you feel uncomfortable doing or haven't ventured into yet because, you know, you're really uncomfortable talking about it? You know, we talked about this earlier and. I'm going to take an audible because this is the second topic that I was thinking about. There was um, there was a joke that I, I or like a story that I used to tell that was about um, emotion an emotionally abusive ex girlfriend that I had, and I've always had a hard time talking about it because, like. I have I have some great fucking jokes at this person's expense and then also at mine for my own vulnerability in that situation. But the reason why I was having a hard time with it is because I let me let me tell the joke. So okay. cause this is this is a true story, but it's also a joke. So like this 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 girl was um we had been together for a few months and uh she was a weakness because she was really funny, but like in a really dark, like acerbic She's an incredibly funny woman, but <clears throat> eventually the relationship soured where it went from being like jokes to being like aggressive put downs. And sometimes it wouldn't even occur to me how fucked up it would be until later. So like, here's an example. Um, uh, her and I were, we, we had this lover's argument about uh, the size, the size of my dick about what, what I'm bringing to the table. What, what, Hey, whoa. <laughs> so she, um, she would be like, verily you are thusly. And I would be nigh, nigh, it'd be thus. And we argued for, or like this little debate. And we were in the living room months later watching a movie on Netflix and she started to seduce me. So she's like crawling all over me and getting things to happen. And like, um, she was about to, uh, she she said to me when she like she was like face down in my cr- like I I feel like I'm being coarse here but it's fine. Um, she was she was about to go down on me and she said, "Are you feeling really turned on?" I said, "Yeah." You feeling it? You enjoying it? Yeah. And then she took a tape measure out of her back pocket <gasps> oh, and no. she measured me. And at first it was funny, and then after a little while I started to just kind of feel sad. <laughs> it kind of ruined our sex life for a little while before we ended up breaking up but I couldn't talk about it because like I was trying to make light of it, 
But at the same time, when I'm, I'm trying to put this in delicate terms because I feel like women deal with some really shitty stuff in terms of us, us in, in terms of the set of cisgender heterosexual format or like what you're dealing with with men in general. Oh, and so in terms of abuse or an abusive relationship where the woman is the one doing it, mm-hmm. people do a few reactions to it where they're like, one, why didn't you just leave? Two, like this is sort of like odd misogyny that takes place with this. That you, that, that am I making any sense with that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, like there's a there's like a sort of a perspective like as a dude, I was supposed to just leave and not take it anymore. Right. And it's somehow different if a woman's being abusive to a man versus a man being abusive to a woman. Um, and this situation was so much more insidious. And so to talk about it on stage was really difficult because afterwards I'd get into these discussions and people would be like, yeah, but you mean you could just left. Right. And like, no, I really hated myself at the time. I couldn't leave. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're, we're not very forgiving in our society towards men being emotional and Oh no. Like, it's like, if you have a situation where you're emotionally invested in someone who is not treating you well, it's like, we don't say like, oh, well, how are you feeling about yourself? Because you're a man and man, men, you can't have feelings. So I feel like, like our generation is the last generation where boys were told we couldn't cry. We were the last ones. Yeah. Like, like that sort of gen, that gen X, gen Y line. We were told you can't cry. You can't do anything like that. And you can't act like a certain way. So you Uh get from both, I guess, uh, genders that you would get in in middle school at the time, like you would just get shit from every direction of just like actually reacting to it. Yeah. We're just not allowed to cry. We were not. We were told not to do that. And like the last one, I really do feel like, I don't don't know if I'm wrong, but like the last one, I hope so. But like, I get worried sometimes about some of the things I see on social media you know, with these gender reveal parties and hashtags like Ugh. girl dads or boy mom. And you're like, wait, what is, what does that mean? Like what, what's happening here? Why are yeah. we doing these things? So um, I'm really, really hoping that, you know, that boys have coming up, have a much better experience than, you know, boys did because it sucks. Like, you know what I mean? People should feel, and especially too, like it's interesting because you do comedy and I feel like comedy is one of the very few artistic avenues available to men where they can have feelings and expose themselves. You know, it's like, I don't feel like there's a, and maybe I'm wrong. Like, again, I'm like, this is just my observations, but I feel like it's harder to be a man and be emotional. And it's like comedy kind of is a way for men to have that outlet. I could agree with that. I mean, I think that there's still going to be some that will, I mean, while we're the same last generation was told not to cry, we were the generation that was brought up on opening, sorry, opening Anthony. So again, you have this sort of shock thing that takes place where, you know, even the person, the author of the joke themselves wouldn't necessarily be that awful, but they're going to say a bunch of these awful things because there's a power in it. Like that person's usually an introvert in every other situation, but to be able to be shocking and to be ribbled and fucked up is like kind of interesting. At least that's what they think it is. Um, That's the other unfortunate part is that like, I don't, I don't know if I'm being too prudish. Like I feel weird because like I, I ever like, when you open up Facebook, it'll, it'll say like, you said this nine years ago and you look at it and you go, Oh shit, what a piece of garbage I was back then nine years ago. I remember I'd said like, it was like 11 years ago. It said, you said this on this day. And it was this 
I said this joke that really pissed me off now in the future where I saw this line where I said um, something about how women needed to be more silent. It was like the weirdest misogynist thing that leaked out of my fucking mouth. Um, I mean, so people that start comedy are figuring out who the fuck they are like any normal person without comedy in their mid twenties. Yeah. And you know, it's like that Kyle Kinane line when you're like 24 years old, you're a creature, you're not a person. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just thank God I did not have social media in my 20s. And I'm glad I've only been on Facebook for like two years. And it's pretty horrible. Um, ooh, I don't enjoy it. So it's like I kind of like miss like not having it. Because I would not want those memories to be popping up. Like, you know, things are in the past for a reason. Leave them there, Zuckerberger. <laughs> yes exactly no. it's like I, I don't like it's it's like a karmic mind fuck um so what do you think though i wanted to touch before we start to wrap up i just wanted to ask you about um because you know we did grow up on people like opie and anthony and um yeah. i feel like if that's some of the stuff that we heard growing up is so different than what's um, being talked about now. So did you feel like that shaped your sense of humor? And do you feel like you kind of struggle fitting into today's current climate with what you were, your humor was based on or shaped by? No. Um, okay. So this is separate from comedy, but like, this is, this is it. Like I grew up in a fairly religious household. I grew up in one where, um, Again, not really good with social stuff. And when I was 20, I moved to this little shithole that my parents live in now. So like my life wasn't, I hadn't, I think that I personally had a great deal of naivete. So where I grew up, the town that I grew up in rather 93% white. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. Okay, good. My, my, uh, I had a sign pop up that said my internet was unstable. Um, okay. So I grew up in this 93% white town in Massachusetts that looks like a Thomas Kincaid painting. And then I moved to Arizona and see a bunch of uh, more, just a lot of white people. And what ended up happening, I, I feel like my comedy changed because I changed, not because of like, I wanted to appeal to anybody, but because I left. So when I was, you know, 23, I moved to Flagstaff, Arizona, started smoking pot for the first time in my life. <laughs> like, And then I moved to Massachusetts again, started pursuing comedy that way, and then doing Philly, New York. I did a lot of traveling because, I don't know, when you live in a place like this area in Arizona where there's 600 people in the town, you don't want to stay. <laughs> and by having this exposure of different people and having some patience, I lost the Christianity. I lost the innocence and I lost this sort of, um, I don't know. I, 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 I think that in some ways woke culture is, has been impatient dealing with people because our mores have changed so, so much, right? Like you had like, uh, was it Obama in 2008? Didn't know whether or not gay marriage was something he wanted to go through with to help out with. He That's didn't know crazy. whether or not oh God. Oh we've my accelerated God. it a lot in 12 years. Damn. It used to be just fine 
it used to be so it used to be easy to make fun of a trans person yeah. and i'm not like i'm not saying that that's no, something yeah, but that you like, should do but different like we punched down a lot i felt we did and so i think that there's there's some things where like a lot of us are starting to try to catch up and we have really really especially because of the advent of the internet sort of realized our own common grounds and talking to people and I, I, I'm heartened by the fact that, you know, we have better representation in comedy now. It's not just the same rogues gallery of white dudes going up. Um, so I didn't think it was necessary. I just feel like I changed personally. And now it's weird because I, I mean, when I was 23 or 24, I'd be like, everything is, is available. You should make fun of everything. And then now I'm 35 and I'm like, you know what? Punch up, punch up at corporations, punch up at the government. And, don't punch down on people that are going to have a hard time getting home. They don't know. Like you have no idea what the perspective is from that person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't think it was hard. I think we all are adjusting right now. Yeah. No, I think uh, especially, I feel like those jokes like as well, like it's easy to punch down. Like that's like, it's so, so simple. You know what I mean? It's like, to me, it's like at that point, I don't even think it's comedy anymore. It's just kind of like, you know, oh, okay, like this is what everybody has kind of been ingrained to do. It's like that uh, that bully mentality, right? If you're getting picked on, you pick on somebody else. So it's really nice to hear comedy that's inclusive and thought-provoking and, you know, dives into stuff that we need to talk about. Because again, it's, things are hard, but comedy is that powerful tool we have, you know, that could be utilized to help be the light to lead people through this darkness yeah i mean i i think that with isn't it great that like you have it's i'm sorry i feel like i lost my train of thought all of a sudden (laughs) i just i just think i i I just think that it's like i i'm i'm really hopeful about what the material is going to be coming out of a lot of people now and again you see so many different types of people at mics than you used to Mm-hmm. It's not just the same soiled mustard stained t-shirt guy in his sweatpants going up and going like, ah, women, huh? <laughs> it's now um, a lot of different types of people trying to find their own way. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people like myself who are doing this as a byproduct of the fact that they can't help it. But like, I like the fact that the perspectives have changed a lot more and there's a lot more inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, maybe comedy was what actually made me better. Rather than the other way around, trying to appeal to the audience, but rather just hearing this different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ian, we have loved having you here today. Um, who's we? You're in alone. I can. I'm looking right at you. you. Know, the audience, everyone who's listening. Oh, sorry, sorry. You goofball. <laughs> you goofy, oh golly okay i'm gonna say that again. Gee whiz. loved having you <laughs> i can edit it uh, <laughs> but no it's been wonderful i want you um to plug where can we find you again i your i know your comedy special a lot is on spotify but where else can we find you on social media I'm neglectful of my Twitter. I mean, I exist as Ian Von Steffen. I used to have a stage name um, on Twitter. Um, I-A-N-V-O-N-S-T-E-F-F-E-N. You're just going to see me yelling at like local sheriffs on there, though. That's pretty much what I do. Um, so you can Twitter, find me, Twitter's good you to yell find, at people. 
you can you can find me on the risk podcast there's two episodes that exist on one's called the way home and the other one is called uh gadzooks with an exclamation point um and then i mean other than comedy i do photography too so you'll find me on instagram on phony shaloub so that's uh p-h-o-n-y underscore s-h-l-h-o-u-b and that's just like all my weird stuff your beautiful, beautiful photographs are amazing. Thank you. Yes, Thank I love you. them. Thank well, you. Oh, well, it's been awesome to talk with you today. Um, it's always a pleasure, again, to hear your comedy and hear your thoughts. He's Ian's quite a wordsmith, ladies and gentlemen. So we were very ah. lucky that you would sit down with us and, you know, share all your thoughts. Thank you. As we uh, conclude, is there anything that you would want to say out there to people listening about how has comedy helped you deal with grief? No. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) How has comedy dealt with no, it's again like um, you know what you know what's cool about storytelling too, especially when it's like something that's traumatic, is that you get control. You get to control the narrative of it. Like you get to. So as far as what 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 it did for me with grief, it was like I I got to I got to turn my father or the situations that I've been in to like more positive situations. It it, it gave me something of an artistic honesty. Isn't that weird? Doesn't it feel gross? Like the word artist is gross. Isn't it gross? <laughs> it's so gross. I hate the word artist. Like I don't want to say I'm an artist. Why? Because it's gross. No, it's gross. I, it's I, gross. It's I art. I think it's to- no. It, it is art. It is art, and I will find myself defending it to the death because of that. I'll and say comedy's an art, but I. You're but I don't artist. like. Ugh, gross. No, gross. Something uncomfortable here. No, I don't like the. I don't like be calling myself art like an artist because you would like. I remember when I was younger, I would hear like a pop musician that like had a series and team of producers that would write their songs for them and then have like a whole band behind them, and then they would go, "Yes, I'm an artist." It's like, no, you're paint. You're part of the canvas. You're not an artist because you're just kind of a part of it. So you're creating art. That's a debate for another time, but like yeah, I just I, feel like I was gonna say, I'm like, I don't know if I'm on board with it. <laughs> I just feel like I feel like I'm saying something like pretentious by saying like I'm an artist. No. I don't want to be taken too seriously at all. Absolutely not. I feel like you it is art, you know, it's words. Would you say a poet wasn't an artist? That's a bad question. <gasps> it depends on the it depends on the first of all, oh wait. We're going to talk about that. We'll be really quick about that. Yeah. Um, I used to do poetry. I used to do poetry slams. And, like, I, I remember getting away from it because I felt like people clapped and liked what I said and complimented it afterwards, no matter what I did. No matter what I did. Um, or what if it was just good? Nah, it couldn't have been. Uh-uh. Everyone's just being nice. Isn't really? that what it is? Really? Don't you ever think that? You really think everybody out there in this world is very nice like that? That's so positive. I love your optimistic outlook on things that oh, people When somebody are, says good set, you, it's something to say. I always feel that way. It's like well, always, it yeah. is. Right. Yeah, isn't that it's the, the, always felt like a... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, it's okay. What were you saying? I, I'm just saying is that, like, there's a tendency to, like, 
I've seen people say good set to somebody that just bombed because they weren't really watching. So I, I've always like, like let that roll off, off of my back and. So you, it, so you mean people don't they don't mean good set to me when I'm done? Is that is that what's happening? I just think in general, I don't, I don't. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about your life because you're funny. You actually are, but you're not. Gonna, but but I've just set up a system in which you don't believe me. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't believe I don't. you. I don't. I don't believe you. Like it with that's, your poetry, right? Like people are just being nice, Ian. You're just being nice. <laughs> well, this isn't this the isn't isn't this the crux of all of this? Is that you will the human condition will believe an insult from a stranger and take it in more so than a statement of affection or a compliment from a friend. That's the thing that's wrong with us. So anything that negative about us will latch on to and hold on to because we always feel like we're a broken little beautiful machine that we need to, that like it just one little piece got in there. It would be perfect. But at the same time, you, you're still aware of those flaws. We're uncomfortable looking inward as a human beings. We're not conditioned seeing, inward. God forbid that it crosses a threshold to appreciate a, comp, a compliment to go into arrogance. You know, I know self grounded. You have to keep yourself grounded, but also too, I think you want to be. If someone offers a compliment, like to appreciate it, like um, and accept it, you know, wholeheartedly, without having this talk of, oh, they're just being nice and blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian, again, it was awesome talking with you today. We are so happy to have you on this episode of Comedians Exposed, and we can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ian. Thank you.